Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. My guest today is Darius Mirshazadeh, who is a high-growth CEO, serial entrepreneur, uh, who was ranked number nine on Glassdoor's list of top CEOs of small and medium-sized companies in the U.S. Inc. Magazine and New York Times uh, recognize him for innovation in corporate culture, and his business insights and thought leadership have been published in numerous magazines and publications, including the Huffington Post, Entrepreneur.com, Fast Company, and Forbes. Darius believes that core values uh, become the oxygen of the company and that it becomes the language of the organization when we all live and breathe and speak the same core values. Today, he's here to speak to us about building company culture, utilizing core values, as well as some insights from his recently published book, The Core Value Equation. So without further ado, let's welcome Darius. Welcome, Darius. I'm so excited to have you here and to talk about core values and specifically about your book, The Core Value Equation. Um, I thought I knew a lot about core values and you know, I've done my own. Jamie and I have done our ours as a couple, obviously my businesses, and I learned so much. So super excited to talk about this. Um, however, I'm really, really excited also about your unicorn. So I thought in honor of this conversation that I would have some fun with this. So here is... Yes. An ode to the pink unicorn. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for the for the tribute. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, you and I have just recently met. However, there is more than six degrees of separation in terms of how we've been connected through numerous friends and colleagues and of course the entrepreneurs organization EO. And um, I know you're a serial entrepreneur, you're a husband, a dad, um, and a speaker, and now an author. So wanted to talk to you about the book. And then specifically, as you can see, I have numerous pages dog-eared and highlighted and um, underlined. So I, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about, uh, specifically sure. as it p- pertains to hiring uh, candidates, culture, you know, the space that obviously I'm in with artists and creative and kind of how core values, you know, is so critical in the hiring process. Sure. Yeah. Where do you want to start? What gave you the idea? What made you sit down, put pen to paper and come up with your equation? Well, is it is the question the equation in general or the book? Because the equation kind of evolved. The equation actually came um, right before the book, so it was it was more of a connecting the dots. And so for me, um, the work had already you know at that at the, the the work had already been done at that point, and and then I I did some work 
and I mentioned this in the closing of the book with Dr. Um, with David Zellman. He does his uh, Transitions Institute, and he comes from a, back, a background in EST, um, which is now Landmark Forum. And so, um, and some people I think are a little put off by Landmark because it's kind of has a has a positive. Depending on who you talk to, some people think it's a little bit cultish, but um, but they have a lot. They do a lot of work around around language and. I was doing work with Dr. Zell, uh, David Zellman, and um, and he and I are friends through uh, alumni program of EO called uh, Gathering of Titans, which is the alumni program for Birthing of Giants, um, which is EO MIT. And so uh, he he invited me to do work with him for four months, and we were going pretty deep. And at that point in my life, this is a Q3, Q4 of 2018. I was just going through a pretty big like. No transition, I guess myself. So doing a transition coaching program made sense to me. I was trying to, I had this sense that something was missing in my life. And so we, I, I was exploring what was going on. Mm-hmm. And when the the last time I worked with him, he, he kind of ran me through a series of questions or excuse me, the third time out of four, four times I worked with him, he ran me through a series of questions. And the questions were essentially, what do I think creates the results of my life? And I said, well, I think the actions create the results of my life. He said, well, what do you think creates the actions in your life? And I guessed about 10 times and got them all wrong. And finally he said, well, what if I told you conversations you have create, you know, the actions you take, which then create results in your life. And so I pondered on that for a couple months and we finished the program. And then a couple months went by and I had this epiphany and, and my, in the early part of the program, I had to interview six people I was very, very close to. And I interviewed my wife. And she, one of the things that she said about me was that I get ex, an exhilaration when I connect the dots. Like when the, when the, when I connect the dots, it's very exhilarating for me because usually it comes really intuitively and it's usually a, a, usually it's very pivotal for me if, if I get these really big aha moments and they always come through like just kind of marinating on ideas and then I'll, I'll connect these two big dots and, and I, and then I, I, my brain explodes and I go run with it. And so I had this moment about a couple of months after I was working with David Zellman. And so I called him up and I said, Hey, um, we did a postmortem on the coaching. And I said, Hey, David, I have, I had an aha moment. And he said, well, what's that? I said, I think I have something to add to your equation. And this is about two months before I actually sat down and started writing the book. Um, and I said, well, he's okay. Well, what's that? I said, well, look, I actually think before you, take action, you have to make a decision. So I think it's conversation equals decision equals actions equals results. It's like, okay, well, that's going to be your interpretation of it. And, and then I said, but I have a question for you now. What's a conversation made of? And he said, well, I don't, you know, it's like, like language, like words. And I said, okay, yeah, words, right? said like a conversation is a series of words and an interactivity of words, right? That's really what a conversation is. It's, and he guessed some other stuff too, but that, that's where I, he got to pretty quickly. And I said, well, what if I told you, I believe that the language of your life and of an organization is its core values. Therefore, if it's the language of the organization, what is the language made of? And he's like, well, words. And I said, right. So therefore, my version of your equation is core values equals words equals conversations, which equals decisions, which equals actions, which then equals results. And there's a law in math called the law of transitive equality, which means A equals B and B equals C and C equals D and D equals E and E equals F that A equals F. Therefore, core values equals results. And 
I realized that it was like this moment that struck me and I was like, wow, I can't believe this, that this is, this is like this thing where every single thing you do in your life is like the results that come out of your life are a direct result of your core values. And if, if whether they're alive, how are you living and what values are you living? Because you may be living outside of your values or your business may be working outside of its values, or you may have a job that's not aligned with your values. And then the results you're getting are not what you, they, they you rub up against them and they don't feel good and you're not getting what you want. And it was just this thing where like it all made sense. And this is in January, 2019. And mind you, I'd started doing this work in June of 06. So this is 13 years into the work and uh, 14 years into the work almost. And um, ever since that moment, like my life changed. I mean, I mean, it was really like it tied it all together and it gave me a way, way, way deeper meaning. Some good, some bad. I mean, it, a lot of changes happened for me since then because of that realization. So yeah, that is a long-winded way of saying where the core value equation came from. Now, I didn't name the book that right away. I named the book. I had a bunch of other names. And then I, I think I thought of that. I said, well, this equation that's in the book, it's really a core value equation. So that, that's how I named the book. But yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah, love it. Uh, however, this is something that you've implemented in your own business in the money source. And um, I've, you know, all the pictures that you have from, you know, about, you know, how you've incorporated this from, from the unicorn mark to just, you know, to your team and kind of how they've embraced it. I'd love to talk about um, how a company would go about kind of embracing this because, you know, as recruiters, obviously, you know, skills is just only part of the equation of what you're trying to match up with what a company is looking for. At the end of the day, you know, two people can have the same exact set of skills. It's really the culture and more importantly, the values, are they aligning? Um, Because we're looking to make a long lasting relationship here with both the candidates and and the clients. And it only aligns if there's cultural alignment and there's core values alignment. And I still come across, you know, plenty of candidates who haven't sat down to think through what their core values are. And same as companies who haven't thought through what their core values are. And you implemented it and your business just skyrocketed and it really impacted your hiring as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah. So, so I take, you know, I, I think that the culture is, so first of all, I think the word core value is misappropriated by most people. And, and I think that they don't know, they, they understand intuitively what it means, but they don't understand what it means to have it be alive and thriving in an organization. I think people understand what good culture is, but they don't understand how to intentionally design a culture. And, and I think that intuitively we, 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 we see these earmarks of when it is there, but we, but we generally, we don't hire or recruit or even um, look for a job with this, with this is like a prerequisite on the list, right? We, we look at the job description, we look at the benefits, we, we get a sense of, of we, we try to get some sense of the environment and then we like make a decision on wh- whether we, and then we look at the pay and then we decide if we want to like take the job or not. And inevitably people rarely leave for those four reasons. <laughs> they always leave because of culture or they leave because of the environment um, that they don't, you know, that like, like they get clarity around what matters to that organization. And if they're not aligned to it, that's generally why they leave. 
sometimes for money, but but I really do think that that's it's, it's like number six on the list of what's important when you start looking at the data around this. Most of the time, people leave because it's not the right place for them, which which is a which is a really general way of saying that their culture or the values are not aligned. Yeah. So I actually don't. If you read when you read the book, you I think uh, for a lot of integrators out there. I think when we use visionary talk, like culture and mm-hmm. values and purpose, I think for the enlightened leaders, like I'm talking their language, it's a pretty small percentage of people though. So the most of most people that are really great in business that have thriving businesses, usually they're business development oriented, they're finance oriented, they're operationally oriented. And a lot of the times those people are, they're kind of like begrudgingly going along for the ride on the cultural stuff. Um, so when you read my book, it doesn't read like your fuzzy, fluffy culture no. at all. Because yeah. it's not. It's not, yeah. by the way. Um, and the reason it's not is because I had two business partners. I had my brother, who's a salesperson, who just kind of would let me do whatever I want because we're partners and we're brothers. And he trusts me. I had another business partner who's a 94% integrator on a visionary integrator scale. And I had another one that's almost full execution. And these guys are old school, hardcore bankers. And so I knew that they, I mean, to imagine if you met them, I can if you met them and you, you would not believe the pink unicorn thing. It'd be like, there's no way you've got these guys to do this. Um, these are guys that don't smile in front of the staff. <laughs> like these are guys that wear suits on Sundays. You know, these are not, these are like hardcore banker, like finance guys. So I knew I had to make, I had to show strong ROI as a CEO to keep them investing in this thing that I knew mattered. I knew it would get us higher performance. I knew it would get us more profitability. I knew we would have less friction in our growth. And I knew a, by, a, a positive byproduct of that, of all the things I just said, would be that we would have a great culture. So what I always tell people is that I don't do it for culture. I end up getting the, the great culture for free. What, the reason I do all this stuff, and, and look, I'm half lying. I do like to have a good culture. But, but I don't want to talk to CFOs about that. I don't want to talk to COs about that unless they're already a believer in that type of stuff. I don't ever start with that in the conversation because they already have their guard up. They think I'm a culture guy. And I'm like, no, I'm a high performance, high growth, high profitability guy. I just happen to use the tool of values to get us there. So, um, you know, and, and sorry, I forgot the question. I talked, I talked a lot. So can you repeat the question? I forgot what that was myself uh, about. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of went off on a tangent and that's totally fine. Um, I think it was just about hiring and what to look yeah, for. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so yeah, like I said, people, when they, when they're, if you're on the employee side, they're not looking at their employers that way. And I think vice versa. And the employers are generally, if, unless they're an enlightened organization, um, as my gazelles coach used to like to say, they're generally not, they might say they're hiring for, for culture or values, but then you say, well, what is specifically are you doing? Oh, we, I won't hire someone I won't have a beer with. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know, like, yeah, like there's plenty of people that fake the funk when they have a beer with you. Um, if that was, you know, yes, that's the, you will eliminate like the bottom 10% that are not fun to be around. But like most people have enough social skills where they can be comfortable when, when they need to turn it on um, to get a job. So for me, it's, I treat it, I treat these as an asset in the organization. The values need to be designed for high utility value in the organization. So before I look at recruiting, recruiting is just one tactical mechanism that we leverage the values against. Uh, I, I operationalize them in everything we do in the organization. But before I go there, 
I believe that they need to be authentic to the organization, like true and true, and they need to be designed for high utility value. So what does that mean? In the book, we really walk through, and I really consider the book a design, a book around design leadership. How do you design core values so that they can become viral and sticky in the organization? And, and I think of them like this. And since we're on video, I'll show you. You know, at one point, this tool here did a good job of uh, its job. This is an old Nokia phone. That's my favorite cell phone I ever had. But at one point, it didn't serve its purpose anymore because this thing came around. And, and that's the iPhone. And so why did the iPhone kill Nokia? The answer is, is because it served a new purpose and it had super, super high utility value and its design was amazing. It was designed so well that four-year-olds could pick it up and start using it. And they don't know, even know how to read, right? So there was this high functionality, high utility um, value. And it's because there was a ton of intentionality around the design. Um, not to say the Nokia phone wasn't either, but the, the Nokia phone kind of aged out as the needs changed. Um, and so what I find is that there isn't that thought, there isn't that intentionality around the cultural design of the business. Or when you look at these cultural assets like mission, vision, and purpose, people don't design them for high use. They just do them, document them, put them back in the drawer and go back to work. And, and it's like, that's a really weird thing to do for something that's so quote unquote important. You know, if you did that with the product you take to your customers, how successful do you think your business would be? Yeah. Words on paper, like you said in the book, right? Yeah. Just words on paper. Exactly. And it would would be product on paper and you would get no clients. You go out of business. So I, my belief is you take that same intentionality that you give towards customer service, the same intentionality that you give towards product design, the same intentionality that you give towards trying to acquire a new business. And you put that into this iconic asset of your of your core values, because I believe that core values have the, the ability to become the language of the organization. So that's a kind of a, a big idea, right? But if you can imagine, and I was talking to a guy on my show, on my live stream show about this, who was on, on a member of the 2001 New England Patriots, and they won a Super Bowl that year. So he was on a team that won the Super Bowl, and he like walked on the field and caught footballs on that field with them. And, and I said, hey, his name... Um, is Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, I have a question for you. He played on, I think, four or five teams in the NFL. I said, what was the difference between the team when you played on the Patriots and you guys won a Super Bowl compared to the other teams you were on that didn't win the Super Bowl? He said, you know, we had tons of talented guys on all those teams. There was, there was, but, but there was a way we spoke to each other. There was a tone that was set and tone speaks towards language, right? Tone, there's tone in voice, there's tone in behavior. But if you go back to what, Dr., what David Zellman said, is that if our conversations set the tone, which they do, then the behavior follows, the actions follow, the actions equal the results. And so he said, Bill Belichick set the tone in that organization. And the players, we, we lived and died by that tone. And the results you saw were what you saw. And so one of the, probably arguably one of the best football teams of all time because of that tone. So I just believe that organizations have the ability to set the tone it's a little easier with the football team because again, it's small and maybe in a small organization, you can do it by setting the tone just from the leader. But I believe the core values can kind of take on a life of their own. They become the language of the organization. They set the tone. And then every single thing you do from recruiting, hiring, firing, operations, meetings, every single thing you do in the organization is a representation of those values. And you have a choice to be intentional or not. 
but they have to be designed to be intentional and they have to be designed for high use. They have to be designed to go viral. They have to be designed to go to be sticky in the organization because we want people using them. We want the staff using them. The, Steve, the staff's not as, not as um, they don't have as much at stake as the, the entrepreneur or the CEO or the owner for these to come alive. Like if they don't come alive, it doesn't really change their life. It's just not as great of a place to work. But if you as the business leader, if they're not alive in yours, you're losing something. And I believe you're losing something huge. If you ask me, I will say this. I believe the best, the biggest and most powerful asset you have in your organization are your core values. And most people, they, they take this asset and I liken it to having a gold brick. And instead of using it for this, the high value you can use gold, a brick of gold for, it's like using it as a door stopper to keep the door open. So, so to, so to answer your question though, around yeah. recruiting mm-hmm. is you have to operationalize it in the business so that I you know, I'm ne- even if I do a perfect job, I'm still going to hire people. People are going to still get in that aren't core value fits. But at least I lower the percentages, the chances of that by vetting for values. I mean, in my organizations, we would ask the questions. Our number one core values, people matter. Can you give me an example of when you live this core value? Our number two core values is inspiring leadership. Can you get, it means we inspire people. I'd read the entire value. There's a six to eight cents descriptive. Can you give me an example of when you did this in your business? Can you give me the phone number and name of someone to call that I can talk to about how you did that, right? So I use top grading. I use a lot of the, the, the uh, what they call, Jeff Smart calls fork, fear of reference check. What was the name of the person you did that with? Can I get their email, right? I don't want them giving me their references. I want them to find it. I'm going to strip their references out of them through the process of asking core value questions in a not so obvious way. And then I'm going to get my own set of references, and then I'm going to call those references up and say, you know, when I talked to, to John, he said that he lives our core value of people matter, which is all about caring for people. And he said in your organization that he did X, Y, and Z. Can you verify that? And if so, like how did, how good of a job did he do? If our core value is people matter, which is caring for our people on a scale of one to 10, would you say that John was a 10, nine, eight, seven? What would you score him, sir? Dude, the people like don't even, when I reference check like that, the people like don't even know they're, they're like uh, six. And I'm like, no, oh, this guy wasn't telling the truth. You know, so I'm always trying to read between the lines when I'm recruiting and the core values are a nice filter for that. Love that. Um, how, the alignment between the CEO or, or the founder or the entrepreneur's core values and the business's core values. So their personal core values and the business one. How much alignment do you see in that? Are they parallel or are they very different because the, the organization has a life of its own? Well, so I think that as an organization develops, that the that a per, it's a mixture of timing, environment, um, competition, and then it's also a, a mixture of the culture of the business. So, what type of a business do you have? How do people's you know behaviors come to life in that organization? And so, all that kind of goes into a pot, and you make this stew called you know values, right? Um, and so, those values represent their, themselves as a personality or some would say as the essence of the business. Vern Harnish will say that every organization has its own personality or essence to them. And I agree with that, especially at, at scale. Um, and so my belief is, you know, that initially if you're startup and you're doing values, it's probably going to look a lot like the founders because are, they are the personality of the business at that point. I used to be pretty um, orthodox around saying you can't change your values and that, but Vern and I got, had a nice conversation about this and he, he, you know, he made a good point to me and, 
And I now say, look, at the three to five year mark, you may need to revisit those values and, and do a facelift mm-hmm. because you're really, once the product and the organization you know, has some traction and it's had a few years under its belt, then, then for startups, you may need to take a second look um, because it may not mirror perfectly against the uh, founder or the CEO. Um, but to answer your question, for a, an existing business that's doing this, that has that personality already intact, I, it's like I said, I, I don't think it needs to be exactly that of the CEO, nor any other, nor does, is it, should it be of any employee. It's good, it's its own thing. You know, it's it's a conglomeration of of many leaders and many influential people and a behavior in the organization. And that may be perfectly aligned with, with the CEO. It may be 80, 90%. Um, and the 10% may not, it may not, it may just be that the CEO or founder is indifferent on that. And it just is kind of on taking a life of its own on. Um, what it can't be is it can't go against the leaders. So even if it's not a hundred percent, you know, lockstep the same, it can't, the C, the CEO can't ever be put in a position where their values are breaking the company core values. So they need to, they need to be, um, they need to be able to ride tandem just like any employees. And in the book, we kind of talk about this thing called me and me and we, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's where we have the employees say, how do my core values attach to the company core values? And the CEOs needs to be the same and the founders needs to be the same. It may, they may not be exact. Like my personal core values are different than my former company's core values. My personal core values are love, um, happiness, grit, uh, curiosity, um, excuse me, balance, and let's see, curiosity, balance, and creativity. Those are my six personal core values. My, my business core values were caring, um, integrity, inspiration, and, uh, customer service, service orientation. So like, those are different values, but I can tell you how they attach. I can tell you how the essence is the same still, right? Yeah. The essence has to attach. I I, I can't have one that's like bold, you know, like fighting with others and the other one's like harmony, you know, like that's not gonna, you know, that's not gonna work. Right. Um, so it, 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 they can't be at odds with each other. They can be complementary, but they can't be at odds. Yeah. You'd be at conflict otherwise. <laughs> it just won't, it breaks, it breaks. The, well, so, something has to give when that happens. Yeah, either, the, yeah. either the leader has to go or the company um, is going to basically, what will happen is, is if the leader doesn't go, which probably they won't if they're the CEO, um, it just undermines them as an asset in the organization. And then people just say, oh, this is just like every other company. They're fake. And then they stop believing them. And then they don't, then they're not the language of the organization, which is basically means their words on paper. Yeah, for sure. I loved this concept of the invisible manager that you talked about in your book. Yeah. So the way that came about was when I built the values, I, I started roll. I did all the rollout for the, you know, we were a very small organization when I got to TMS. I, my partner founded the company, but there was, you know, 30 people in the organization the day I got there, uh, give or take. And, um, and so I started, I brought in a group on top of the, the group that was there. We were kind of our own business within a business. And, um, and I rolled it out to 13 people. And then I ended up rolling it out to about 500 people over the next, I don't know, 24 months or so. And during the process of that, what I would used to say to people is that, you know, in a lot of organizations, everyone looks to their manager or to their boss to tell them what to do or for confirmation of behavior. And, and if Johnny over there and Sarah aren't playing well, they run to daddy to play referee, you know, and this is common, like where there's bad behavior, people go to their managers and complain. And I said, you don't have to do that here. Just circle the, 
what, what part of the core value they're breaking. And, and, you know, you can highlight it and hand it over to them. Be like, you're not living core value, you know, or core value of inspiring leadership. I don't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of where that initially came up. I said, listen, the core values are built to tell everyone exactly what the expectations are. There's no ambiguity. And so this is part of the, going back to what I said before around the design process, why it's so imperative to design them well. When they're designed well, they can answer any question in the organization. Most importantly, they, they represent what the expectations are around behavior. So I just kept saying that. I said, guys, I, I encourage you to hold each other accountable to what they say they are. And, and even me, if you see me do something where, and I'm the CEO, if I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing, which there's a super low likelihood that's going to happen, but I'm a human being, it's possible. I want you to highlight it, come up to me and say, Darius, you're not living core value. I don't believe you are. The story I'm telling myself is you're not living core value X, Y, and Z. And this is the reason why I may disagree with you. And if I do, we can pull out the core values, read them together and have a mm-hmm. conversation about it. Um, and, but at the end of the day, that's what they're there for. This isn't, and these are the exact words I would use, Caddy. I said, these are an unbiased third party. They don't have a horse in the race or a unicorn in the race, as I would say. They don't have one in the race. They don't care who's right or wrong. They just are. And so that's kind of where it originally uh, originated out of is it said, I don't want to tell someone they're doing a bad job. I don't want to say, hey, John, you suck. You're not an inspiring person. I want to say, this is what inspiring leadership means in our organization. It means that we lead from the front lines. It means that actions are the only truth. When you exhibit behavior of doing such and such, I don't believe that lines up to this statement. What do you think? And, and, it, and it, now it's not Darius saying you suck. It's the core value says that you potentially suck. And, and now it's, I eliminate myself in the conversation. It's not, hey, man, I, I love you, but your behavior is not aligned to what we as an organization are saying what you're all about. And by the way, I'm not your manager. We're coworkers. I just want to make sure that you understand that other people mm-hmm. see this. So that was originally, I, I kept saying that. And before I knew it, I, I just said, it's an invisible manager. It's everywhere. It's in the air. It looks over everyone's shoulder. And they get to look right back at it. And they know if they're aligned with it or not because it's so clear what it is. It's designed for such high utility value that if you're not doing it, you know. It's black or white. There's no like gray areas. So this is the importance of design and then the descriptive, which is the six to eight sentences. I call it the 10,000 foot level. Those six to eight sentences say everything. They're the essence in, in, in the behavior of that value or set of values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. Um, that really spoke to me be, because I was thinking about it both, both from, you know, obviously the hiring manager side, the manager side, but also from the candidate side that it's it's like looking in the mirror, right? It's like, if you're not living those values yourself, why are you not living those values? And kind of just having that conversation with yourself, maybe you're not in the right place, right? Right. So if if that means you're honest with yourself and have to question, you know, your own motives or your own intentions or your own drive and motivation, then it's a great filter to be able to utilize for that. Generally speaking, in my in my experience, I haven't found a lot of people that say, you know, man, I'm just not, I just don't have good integrity. I'm going to leave. <laughs> you know, um, what normally normally people that have issues around a well built like like high level, you know, really enlightened set of core values. Usually those people, in my experience, have, they've had some issues, have some bad experiences. Uh, they may have some, you know, some issues in their personal life that are carrying into the, into the business life that they just haven't worked out yet. Some former trauma, pain, you know, there's things that happen that make people hard to work with, you know. Uh, some of it might be just a cultural mismatch to your point. But um, 
it's not it it's not that you want a homogenous group of people that are all zombies doing the same thing I, that i think it's living the values in different ways in a diverse way but where the essence is the same to your point yeah. um and so the great thing it is it does do though because you will get moments and i use an example in the book of of a girl uh that used to work for me and who i call kelly in the book everyone i made up everyone if i'd say anything bad about anybody it's every by the way everyone in the book's a real person and, and if, if I'm saying anything bad, I made up a name and I made up a job for them. <laughs> but, so, but they're all real people I worked with. And so this woman, this girl, Kelly, was a person that was a hard worker, but we were a company where we showed up at nine in the morning and we worked till nine or 10 at night and no one took breaks and everyone ate at their desk. And we were just a young, hardworking company. And I use, and I use, I, I don't say that she worked for my company. I say she worked for another company in the book, but, um, but in the book, this person needed to take a one hour lunch break. This person needed to go on a walk every two hours for 25 minutes. This person left at five o'clock on the dot every day. So that's an example. And I use the example in the book where I say this book, this company, um, I don't, I forget the name of the company in the book, but I said that they had a warrior culture where they were workaholics and, and it was, and it was basically a bunch of consultants who were like cutting each other's throats to be the best. And then this person who was like, la di da comes in and they do great work, but they, they're, the, they're not working at the same like uh, cadence. Right. And, and it sends a different, that's not a good cultural fit. That person's going to feel like an outcast. So um, I do think to your point, when you find yourself off sides like that and you're, and let's say you're the rec- on the recruit side, that's what you want to look for. Hey, is this place, or am I working? This, is this my tribe? Right. And the values are an opportunity from both, an explicit and an implicit way to say, this is what we are. And I, and I say in the book, core values don't need to be nice. If you're not nice, say I'm not nice. They're going to find out. It's way better for them to find out before they, they start and leave a job than for them to show up and hate your company. I just think that if you want something to become the language of the organization, it needs to be the language of the organization. So these are the documents we use. I think that low-hanging fruit for organizations are talking about them in your weekly huddles, having, asking the team who lived the, can you name someone that lived one of the core values this week? Who are they? Which core value did they live? And would you mind telling a a, quick 30 second story about it? I think it's having people practice conversationally talking about the values is a really easy thing to do that helps bring them alive much, much quicker. And you, and it's, it's that thing that we talk about in the book around BJ Fogg. You've got to make, if you want to have it to stick, it's got to be easy, Mm -hmm. right? If I want to lose weight, it's not about, you know, doing things that are unsustainable. It's about putting an apple at the end of my desk and lo and behold, you know, eventually I might eat it, right? But every day I throw one there. So I think it's around not creating more work for ourselves because I find the biggest hurdle that I, that I come across with folks is they get really gung-ho about this stuff. Just like anything, it's a shiny object. Darius is so convincing when he talks about it that they do it. And then, but, but it's more work. And then it doesn't stick. And I'm like, pick one thing and you do it. And I, and I kind of go through the book on what things to do in order because I'm like, you get 80% of the way there without doing very much. Um, the, the goal is to make it the, the, really the centering, the core for expectation and make it the language of the organization. And in order for that to happen, people have to use it. And it has to be user-friendly. And it has to have a, a, a cadence to its use. And then after a while, it's like anything. Like if you live in a foreign country long enough, before you know it, you start dreaming in that language, right? But if you're not speaking the language, you won't do that. And so 
um, for me, it's really taking that idea, like from a marketing perspective around how do I make it sticky, how to make it viral. And then once I'm doing that, then I can create high utility around it. And then it just becomes everything. And I, and it's where you're, this is where the invisible manager shows up. Right. And it's, and you, and you as the CEO or the founder or the, you know, mm-hmm. owner can just say, I don't need, I don't even need to be here. Like, like this thing has taken on a life of its own and that's fun. That's cool. I mean, it's really cool when you see that, when you see that, you know, you're from every level of the organization that that is people know what to expect from each other and have a language to wrap around that. That's where the magic is. And that's where you get super high value. And in my experience, that's where we grew exponentially in like record time, you know, going, we went from 30 to 300 employees in 18 months. Like that's, I've, I've only done that once before. It was insane, but it wasn't, it was painless. There was no friction. It just happened. And I said, what the hell happened? And I noticed they're all speaking the same language everywhere I look. They're all saying same words. And I was like, oh man, this is cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations for that. And congratulations for getting this book. And I know it's coming out soon. I wanted to put it up on the screen for everybody to see. Thank you. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. September 15th is a worldwide launch of the core value equation. And I'm excited for it. We've got a lot of a lot of support. I had Chip Conley and Tony Shea from Zappos and Gino Wickman from uh, Traction, uh, a bunch of other Cameron Harold and gosh, Jay Goldman, who wrote the Decoded Company, a bunch of those guys, uh, Mike Michalowicz, Profit First, all those guys have endorsed the book and then some. So it's, 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 been, a, it's been a cool ride so far and I'm excited to get it out to the world. Awesome. It's a great read, lots of learning and um, I highly encourage everybody to pick up a copy. Thank you so, so much. Darius, thank you for being here and for sharing your insight uh, into this. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate your time. And thank you guys for, uh, for listening and supporting the book. If you want to learn more about the book or uh, I have a live stream show called The Greatness Machine. Caddy, I think you're going to be on it, aren't you? Mm-hmm. In a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah I will yeah. be on it. Yeah, so it'll be fun. Uh, and so we got a live stream show. You can go to uh, The Real Darius in YouTube or uh the real Darius M in Facebook or the real Darius.com. And you can learn about the show, learn about the book, learn about, I do some speaking um, and I'm launching a course for the book. If you want to actually take this and implement this into uh, your business, then uh, the course is launching when the book launches and um, it's going to be a very, very um, in-depth hands-on uh, with consulting involved type of course. So i uh, excited to bring that to the world. Fantastic. Congratulations. Can't wait to see and hear all about it. Thank you. Appreciate it. All righty. I will see you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Darius Mirshazadeh of The Core Value Equation. You can find Darius on online at therealdarius.com as well as join in on his live stream uh, called The Greatness Machine. You can also find Darius on Twitter at King Darius or on Facebook at The Real Darius. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting.